Hey there, Greybeardians. Welcome back and thanks for joining me on another episode of Cybersecurity Greybeard, the podcast that helps students, early professionals, and retrainees learn, grow, and advance in the cybersecurity profession. Make sure to email questions, comments, and episode recommendations to cybergraybeard at gmail.com. In this episode, I spent about 30 minutes talking with Adrianus Warmanhoven, defense strategist at NordVPN. We dove pretty deep into virtual private networks, VPNs, and networking. To set the stage, a VPN is a secure layer two tunnel established between two points. This tunnel encrypts and obfuscates the source as the VPN puts its own IP address in the transmission and hides the requester. For example, I can attach to a NordVPN server and then go to any system on the internet. That system sees a connection from NordVPN and doesn't know that Greybeard is the end user. Adrianus and I talk a bit about real-world examples and what this means. People use VPNs for several reasons, including hiding their source from the destination, behaving as though they're coming from a different location, and fundamentally because they want to encrypt data in transit from the VPN to the destination and from the source to the VPN. In other words, Greybeard is on a Verizon account. He connects to NordVPN. That is encrypted between NordVPN and Greybeard. NordVPN then randomizes me and sends me out to a website. That website sends information to NordVPN, encrypted, and NordVPN then sends that information back to me through Verizon. It encrypts everything. This means that not even my ISP, Verizon in this case, knows where I go or what I'm doing. I'll give a very good real-world example again. Last week, I heard about a U.S. federal representative that was swatted. This means that somebody basically called out the police and said that there was something bad in the home and the police should break down the door at 2 a.m. People have died by swatting. You can look it up, Google it. In this case, they rang the doorbell. The representative came down at 3 a.m. It happened to be the second time in two nights this occurred. And what happened was an individual hopped on a behavioral health police line acting as though they were crazy and they were going to be killing people and they needed help and they gave the address of this representative. That is a crime. It is a federal felony. And it was investigated. And what the investigators came back with was that the individual that committed the crime was connected to a VPN and they could not find out who it was. As always, I do not encourage or recommend individuals using the technology for criminal purposes or to violate other people's privacy. I am simply a messenger sharing information and technology facts. Adrianus and I go into depth on this technology, so stay tuned and listen in. Before I get started, again, as I've done all season, I want to mention Josh B. Sola, my mentee that's trying to relocate to Canada to study cybersecurity. I strongly believe it's important for everyone to help when and where we can, especially to those that don't have the life advantages that many of us do. To help Josh, you can either go to Give, Send, Go and search for cybersecurity and select Fund an International Cybersecurity Student, or as always, just click on the link in the episode notes. Now, on with the show. Tell the audience about your background. Introduce yourself. Where do you come from? I'm uh, Adrianus Warmenhoven. I hail from the beautiful city of Zwolle in the Netherlands. For people in the US, it's near Amsterdam. Everything is near Amsterdam. Uh, <laughs> um, I started doing cybersecurity or, well, it wasn't called cybersecurity, but eh, something like that, hacking, in the middle of the 1980s, like 1985, 1986, um, 
with all the modems and, and, and uh, acoustic couplers and stuff. And then I started uh, studying at the University of Amsterdam. And I was um, disruptive enough that I finally got my own office at the science park uh, where the university said, yeah, go do something there. That, that, that's out of the way. And then you have some ideas, but go do something there. And then I set up uh, one of the first uh, web hosting companies in, in, uh, in Europe. Uh, Tim Berners-Lee had just uh, released a couple of months earlier uh, um, HTML. Uh, and I wanted to ask for uh, like $12 for four megabytes per month or something like that. <clears throat> that was actually my first company. And, and from then on, uh, um, yeah, actually things started rolling. And then uh, I started, uh, I sold that company and I got into a bigger company and did ISPs. And it was a lot of fun in those times. I did um, the first internet in uh, first commercial internet in, in Tanzania, uh, one of the first in, in Africa with satellite dishes. Um, and I traveled around the world. Uh, and then I started doing a lot of security for bigger companies, like for instance, also for Lufthansa, uh, did some things with airplanes. And this is really one thing I, I need to say about cybersecurity. If you do it right, it's so much fun because you can play with anything you see. You, you can play with boats, planes, trains, computers, medical equipment. You get to learn so much more than just IT. So, um, and I kept on doing that. And um, before I, uh, um, actually before I joined Nord, I was CISO at a big cybersecurity company. And then CISO is also, it's, it sounds like a boring job with all the administrative stuff. But for me, uh, a lot of puzzle pieces fell into place, why we are doing some things and, and why there's some processes. So for me, I've had a whole big journey about all aspects of cybersecurity and I'm still not bored. So. I think that's really cool. And you're a little bit older than me. I, I Back in the 80s, I was playing with modems on an Apple and you're yelling to people, don't pick up the phone. Because if somebody picked yes. up the phone, it totally jacks up what you're doing. The folks today don't realize that. They have the dedicated fiber or they have DSL or cable and you could be on the phone. Hell, you have a mobile phone. You, know, you can even now tether yes. on your phone talking while you're connected to the internet. But back in the day, you're at the desk and you're playing a game online and you get angry and you bang on your desk, the modem jostles yeah. and you get disconnected. Uh, so I, I definitely appreciate that. And it's really neat to see that you've been around now for 35 plus years working with the computers, making a living, starting businesses, and you ran the gambit. You started in college as a, a hacker, as you will, and then you moved all the way up to the executive branch to the CISO. You exemplify the journey that I hope much of the audience takes, and that is you live the life of cybersecurity and you still do it. And your point about tinkering is, is absolutely valid. When you have the skills to scientifically deduce problems and work your way through it, you could be working on a carburetor. You could be working on a jet engine. It doesn't matter. It's the same mindset of the critical thinking. And that's what folks in college really should be learning about is the critical thinking aspect. It's two and two is four is important, but why? How did you get there? What did you do to deduce that? Wonderful. Let's talk about NordVPN. And before we get into that, I did want to mention that for the audience, I do actually have a lot of background on VPNs. I've been writing papers and articles on VPNs for 25 years. I love this technology. It's one of the reasons why I wanted Adrianus on the podcast. I have used NordVPN a little bit. I actually do use one of their competitors personally, but it's just because I've been using it for years. But the VPN technology is critical. Adrianus, talk about the technology and then talk about Nord. Tell us about your products, the technology behind it, and then let's align that 
if we can, to what students and early professionals should focus on in their journey if they want to participate in the VPN profession? The first VPNs um, were actually just packet routing and, and, and uh, just uh, encapsulating packets from your system, redirecting to some other system, and then, then retransmitting them. Uh, from that, we got a kind of a standard like OpenVPN, which was for years uh, the beast to follow. Um, it was uh, clunky and then it, it still runs and, and it's still being used, um, but it was big and there, there's lots of encryption protocols. Um, and also there's lots of um, places where there can be implementation errors of cryptography and, and, and all those kind of things. And then came somebody with a really bright idea uh, for WireGuard, which has less uh, encryption protocols, but uh, a sensor, some couple of sensible things and the, uh, the whole paradigm of um, how the packets are being sent um, to the exit node uh, has changed. And then NordVPN, um, we use our own protocol called NordLynx, which is a variation of the uh, WireGuard protocol. And what that means is that um, the big difference from older VPNs from the open VPN style is that I can talk to you uh, on my laptop right here. I can close it with a VPN connection. I go, can go to the train, open it, and my VPN connection uh, resumes directly. So there's no need for a new handshaking. It's still the same session. Um, and th this is this is something that, that really has changed in the, in the last couple of years because um, everybody's really mobile. Um, old VPNs were really thinking about you go to an office, you sit there for the rest of the day, or you go to a workplace, you sit there for the rest of the day. That's when you're using your VPN connections. Newer VPN connections are actually built so you can be mobile. You can go out of, uh, uh, to a work meeting uh, at the cafeteria. Uh, you can go uh, into the garden, um, just as mobile as you are, and it still keeps you safe. The big thing with VPNs, of course, um, is their exit nodes because all the traffic gets routed through the exit nodes. And this is basically where I think the reliability and the trustworthiness of VPN provider um, makes itself known. Um, because all the traffic goes through the exit nodes. That's, this is also where a VPN provider ostensibly could uh, intercept your traffic and, and look at it and, and monetize your profile uh, and, and, and sell your profile or uh, even do man in the middle attacks or anything like that. Um, and this is something I think you should really check when you, you use a, a VPN. Uh, for instance, at Nord, uh, we have everything in RAM. We have zero logging uh, possibilities and each node is really rebuilt at the moment it, it's being started. That, I, I want to I jump in there real quick because I think you're touching on something that's very important. You said there's no logging. There's no, there's no way if, if somebody did something untowards using a VPN, and I'm not going to single out Nordis with any VPN, if they do it correctly, there's no DNS trail, there is no logging, the VPN provider does not know who the person is or where they're connecting from unless they're connecting directly, and even then there's no log of it. For example, if I connect from my computer at home, my ISP, my internet service provider, knows the IP address I'm using is assigned to cybersecurity graveyard. I will then go ahead and connect to NordVPN. NordVPN knows there's an IP that I'm connecting with, but it doesn't log it. It doesn't store it. And therefore, when I'm terminating the connection, if somebody saw that I did something wrong from the NordVPN IP address, 
And they went to Nord and said, hey, listen, somebody was using your VPN. We want to know who they were. Nord VPN says, I don't know. I don't have any logs. I don't even have the DNS capability to tell you where they went because I don't have any of that stuff. Is that what you're referring to here? Yes. And we even have one extra measure in there. Um, It's, well, you can call it a double VPN. Uh, When you connect uh, to our VPN, um, that exit node doesn't immediately send your traffic outside. It selects a random other exit node oh, and connects wow. to that <laughs> exit node. Yeah. So that there, there is not, no way for even for us to deduce where you have been. In other words, what you're saying is I go in door number one, and you know that Greybeard went in door number one. But once he gets in there, you have a spinning thing, and it says, well, we sent him out door number seven, eight, nine, or 10. We don't know. Yes. He just went out another one. And then that is the IP address that the website that I went to saw. They're going to see that I came out door seven, eight, nine, or 10. They go back to Nord and say, hey, where did Greybeard come from? I don't know. We spun him around and shot him out a random door. That's sweet. A lot of times what folks will do, and that's why they'll use Tor, the onion router in a Linux world or the dark net, if you will, they'll do that because that's a proxy that's hiding you. And then you go to the VPN from Tor, but you're doing a double VPN, which means I don't have to do Tor anymore. That's sweet. I hadn't heard of that before. And and we also have um, some newer measures coming up um, uh, against deducing the amount of traffic. And uh, there's lots of the anonymization attacks possible on, on a VPN. Let's say I have a hundred candidates. And I want to figure out Greybeard from the input and the exit nodes. So what I do is I look at the traffic on both sides. When I see that the exit node sends less than 100 kilobytes to a website I want to connect Greybeard with, then I remove all my possible candidates from the entry nodes who have sent more than 100 kilobytes. So I can see, uh, make like like a filter, like a sieve. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at, at, at the incoming and the, uh, the ingress and egress traffic. And every time... Um, there's a maximum amount of traffic. I remove everybody who has sent more traffic. So I can could slowly over time uh, de-anonymize some sessions. Um, We're even working on on, on fixing those kind of things with with padding in the traffic and and, and, um, doing delays in in, in traffic because timing is also possible. So there's a lot going on in in, uh, not just routing the traffic anymore, but anonymization in, in, in VPN technologies is also really uh, an area of research uh, where we have active people uh, looking into. I'm glad you used the word anonymizing. A lot of the audience members don't seem to care about privacy. I did an episode on privacy a year or so ago. wasn't too popular. I'm a very big privacy proponent. I actually just had a patent uh, issued from the U.S. Patent Office around privatizing people in public from photography And whenever I ask, should I do another episode? I get, meh, I have nothing to hide. So why do I need to anonymize? What do you say to folks like that? Yeah, this is kind of my trigger sentence. Um, I'm like you, a really big privacy uh, advocate. And whenever somebody says, I have nothing to hide, I'm actually trying to change that narrative. People should understand that your privacy, your privacy is, is about you as a person. Your digital being is the more real to companies and, and corporations and, and, and businesses and, and, and other people than you physically are. Let me explain that a bit. Um, when you buy something, it's not the physical you that buys something online. It's a digital persona. When you talk to somebody, chats with somebody, it's not you physically, it's your digital persona. It, it, it's like this 
uh, ID on the chat uh, application, uh, which sends text to the others. And then there's an, a digital persona in, in, inside. And that's more real to other people and other companies than you physically are. And privacy is not about what you have to hide or what you can protect. It's about what you want to share. This is what privacy means. Uh, because um, hiding something means everybody else already has the right to see something and you remove that thing that, that they want to know um, from their uh, field of view. So let's say um, you have um, compromising pictures uh, from, from, from some um, amorous uh, encounter. And if I say I don't want to, I want to hide them, it means everybody has the right to already see them, but it's not true. I don't want to share them. Everything uh, stays, with, stays with me and that, that's the start point. And I decide what I want to share. And this is what privacy means. And the privacy tools is anonymization and, and stuff is just to keep you in control of what you want to share. So it's from the other, you should really uh, approach it from the other way around. If you have nothing to hide, awesome. You can share everything, but it's you. And if we start out from the hiding part, it means uh, somebody else like Facebook or, or Google, they act as if they have the right to know everything about you and you have to reclaim it. And this is the wrong narrative. This is not, not how, how we uh, feel in the physical reality. And this is not how we should feel in, in the digital reality. Yeah, I love it. And I actually take a little different tack. I agree with you, but not but, and I add to it. We may not need the privacy today in the Western world, meaning United States, Western Europe, Australia, Canada, Israel, the Western world. For the most part, we have open and free governments today. But I don't know what that's going to look like in one, three, five, seven years. If there's a global catastrophe, if there's a nuclear attack, if governments change, and they come out and the new government say, go look online and find everybody that has said this or said that or bought this or bought that and put them in a list or round them up. And one example that's happening right now in the United States, there is a push for credit card companies to track and share with the government anybody that purchases gun ammunition with your credit card. They're going to Visa, MasterCard, American Express and saying... Tell me if Greybeard bought any ammo. It's none of the government's business. And yet the credit card companies know what I bought. I received a note in the mail from a store and they said, hey, Greybeard, we noticed that you bought this version of honey. And on the list, it says that it was naturally sourced, but we're here to tell you, sorry, Greybeard, it wasn't all naturally sourced. You bought it sometime in this three-year window. And so you can come back and return it. And I'm like, it's none of your business what honey I bought. And if they misled me, take it off your shelves. And people say, Graver, who cares? They're going to give you your money back. They're looking out for you. And I'm like, this government and that company may be looking out for me, but I don't know about the future. So I digress a little bit on it, but I think it's important to have the conversation. One, with a European friend, I know that there's some things going on in Europe, especially in the Netherlands right now with the farmers and yes. with the green agenda. And, and people can't see because it's a podcast, but Adrianus is smiling and nodding. I just sit here and say to those that think privacy is a secondary importance or a tertiary or not even important at all, don't think about Western civilization in 2022. Think about Germany in 1929, 1935. What do you want well, we your can. future to be? We know, but what is it going to be? We don't know. Think about that when you're thinking about NordVPN 
and when you're anonymizing what you're doing online. I use VPN on my phone, and you talked a little bit about that. Give me some examples as to where you see your customers using the technology. And when you develop NordVPN, what is the use case mindset that you're coming up with? We're doing this because we want our consumers to have this. Well, I just want to add one more thing to, to the previous point, and I'm going to uh, answer this one. Um, when I was CISO, uh, for, uh, it was the largest um, wholly Dutch-owned cybersecurity company of the Netherlands. As a CISO, you see a lot of open source intelligence tooling. And uh, from the, well, really uh, high-end market, and I can tell you, most of that OSINT tooling, open source intelligence, which basically means we can gather anything that we see online, the amount of detail uh, I could find about myself was really shocking to myself. And I'm already quite privacy and uh, conscious and, 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 and doing stuff. So um, even if you think you have nothing to hide yet, think about this. There's at least 50 to, to, to 100 companies right now um, gathering everything you do and correlating everything you do and, and making a profile of you. Maybe not for now, but it will be sold at some point. So even if you have nothing to hide yet, um, there's parts of your profile that, that, that are already being uh, harvested and, 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 and being uh, categorized. So you have to remember that, 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 that not just the governments, but it's also commercial companies. Um, that's answered about the, the VPNs and, and, and what kind of type of customers. Um, most of the customers um, we have want to have some protection. And that's, that's the first and foremost uh, activity, actually. Um, if you go to uh, a cafeteria or you go to like the McDonald's or you go on vacation, there, there's a lot of public Wi-Fi available. Uh, available. And the difference with public Wi-Fi and, and your own ISP is that um, you don't know what type of person or who has access to the infrastructure of your public Wi-Fi. If you go to the McDonald's, it, it might be just this kid from the corner store uh, who was rigged it up or he's uh, um, getting paid like $100 to uh, put in a sniffers or man in the middle attacks so just to harvest credentials. You don't know anything about any public Wi-Fi infrastructure and can be uh, a lowest bidder. It, it, there's so many ways that, that these things go wrong. So a lot of our customers uh, use it just as a base protection uh, when using public uh, Wi-Fi. So that, that, that's the first category of people we have. Um, the second category of people, um, well, they just want to appear to be from somewhere else. Um, I have to explain it a bit. Well, if you have a streaming service, some series are available in some countries and, and, and some are in others. So we have some customers who really want uh, to be from the UK or from, from Germany or whatever, just to see a specific series. Um, we even had at some point a competition where you could get a month free for, for, from, for North. Um, if you could, uh, if, if your IP was blocked by, let's say, Netflix or something like that, uh, and, and we prided ourselves in, in, in that we could always give you the, the country that, that you wanted. Um, Netflix seems to have fixed that at the moment. Yeah, to be honest, the way that Netflix does it, if I take a vacation to Mexico and I want to watch Netflix, I can't because they're blocking it. I can hop on a VPN that shows I'm in Atlanta 
and now I can yes. use Netflix. It is a whack-a-mole game. Netflix figures out what the IP addresses are of the VPNs and they block it. So then the VPN vendors change their IPs until Netflix figures it out again. So it's a whack-a-mole crapshoot whether you're going to get in. Those are two really good use cases. One is be somewhere that you're not. And geolocation will also do that with some other apps, but the VPN will also encrypt and secure you. And I want to talk a little bit about your open Wi-Fi. This is really the number one reason, and a lot of companies require it. I'll give a real example. Years ago, I was sitting in a, an airport lounge, and I had FaceSniff. It was a open source tool where you could intercept Facebook traffic. It was created to show that Facebook was not encrypting their authentication. And I literally was able to see, and I tested this, and it worked. I, in the airport lounge, captured a couple of people's Facebook credentials. I then logged in as them. If you do that, if that happens to you, it could cause a divorce. You could get on there and start putting things about this person showing they're cheating on their spouse. It is terrible. You have to use a VPN when you're connecting to airport Wi-Fi, hotel Wi-Fi. You go to a rock festival. I was at a rock festival. I'm on the Wi-Fi and I'm like, darn, I wish I had my laptop. Sniff around a little bit. It's hard to do it on the mobile phone. And I don't do it for nefarious purposes. I do it for testing, for education. I've talked about that with my Offensive Actions podcast and Offensive Tools. I do it for education. There are people, though, that are not doing it for education. So that's great, Adrianus. That is, those are two really good use cases. I have two more questions because we're running short on time. The first one really revolves around the students and early professionals. What should they be studying to get into VPNs? and encryption and cryptography and privacy? Are there certain classes or skills or areas they should focus on, either in school or certifications? The, the, the first one I'm, I'm giving to everyone I ever mentored, and, and for each of them, uh, if they followed it, it, it worked out really well for them, but it's, it's extremely boring. It's learn to read RFCs, and, and RFC is the internet standard. Um, it, 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 they're publicly available. You can just type in an, an RFC and you can see what protocol a web server uses, but also how the net, how network protocols work. Because this is the standard upon which everything else is being built. This is free. Um, learn how to read those. If you can read those and, and understand it, um, a lot of the classes are just how-tos and, and not so much new knowledge, but you can always find, find how everything should work. So that, that, that would be my first advice. The other thing is um, practice a lot. Um, nowadays, there's a lot of um, good courses or good YouTube videos on how to set up your uh, um, virtual uh, laboratory networking. And you can play with networking with uh, different virtual machines. Play and do a lot. That, that, that's the other advice I have. Just Just do a lot. Do it a lot. I love it. That's great. And just for some color for the audience, an RFC is a document. It stands for Request for Comment. And one to look at, the very first one you should read will be RFC 1918. RFC 1918. And again, I knew he was going to do it. Adrianus is nodding and smiling. It is the white paper slash RFC that talks about publicly routable IP addresses. Sometimes you'll hear about a 192.168 or 10 net or 172.16, to get a little geeky here, the 10 net is a class A, the 172, I believe, is a class B, and the 192 is a class C. These were protocols or IP addresses, I should say, I'm sorry, they're IPs that do not route over the public internet. We all laugh at the 10 net because it was a huge, huge waste of a class A because you don't need that much for non-routable. Bottom line, I don't want to geek out on RFC 1918, but read it. 
get through it. You'll understand what he's saying. If you think 1918 is dry, it gets worse from there, which is why I'm saying start. And now he's really laughing. Start up high. So do RFC 1918 and play, play, play. I, I may do an uh, an episode on this. You you may have triggered me for my next episode. I don't know. I'm not committing to this, but I want to go ahead and look into a lot of the tools that are out there. Um, Adrianus mentions virtual machines. Yeah, you can go build a farm in AWS, but you have to pay for it. There are a lot of third-party websites that you can go to for training and playing, building your own lab where they've built a lab and you test around it. I'm going to go see if I can research some, but that is where you get your fingers on keyboard. Go to class, read, then get back and get on the keyboard. I'm going to wrap it up with a a multi-tier question for you. First is, what do you look for when you hire younger employees, the students, the other professionals, the 20 to 26-year-olds? What do you look for when you bring them on? And what types of positions do you have or does NordVPN hire for where those folks would fit? The first one is um, attitude. Um, Everything can be learned as long as you have the the correct attitude. It doesn't matter if you started out uh, learning as a baker and suddenly you find uh, found your love for IT and you never uh, had a certificate for IT. If you're willing to learn, you can show that that, that you can uh, learn a, a specific task and get some classes uh, at North. Uh, we do a lot with education, so that, that there's really uh, no problem there. So attitude, willingness to learn, willingness to work. So that, that, that's the first part. The positions, I before I came on the podcast, I checked. Um, we're over, I think, 120 open positions at the moment. Um, <laughs> and I, I really recommend go to North Security and, 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 and look through it because we, we look from everything, from backend to marketing, from from... Uh, developers in, in, in front end, uh, in, in, in Go, in uh, network engineering, at, at threat protection. So the whole range. And the good thing is, if you look at our site, if you know somebody who would fit, and, and because you won't, wouldn't fit, you can get a, do- a thousand euros uh, as a referral bonus. Wow, that's, that's wonderful. And you used a great word there, marketing. I say all the time, you do not need to be technical to be a cybersecurity professional. I've talked about salespeople, may not be the most technical, but if you can sell and you can learn, you get paired with a sales engineer, and then you go ahead and you're in cybersecurity. Marketing, product marketing. We need people that are going to help create ad slicks for why NordVPN is better than the competition. You create something called a battle card. We, you yes. need a battle card. That's what a marketer does. You study marketing in college. You come in, you work with somebody that's on the technical side. They go down all the pros and cons. And you, as a marketer, are creating something. You are a cybersecurity professional. Well, yes. Adriana, this is fantastic. Thank you. Again, I love talking about VPNs. You're a wonderful guest. This was really good. Thank you so much. And that was it. My episode with Adrianus Warmanhoven of NordVPN. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found it informative. And if you have any questions, please shoot me a note at cybergraybeard at gmail.com, and I will talk with you again next week.